0: With, with the body, mind, and soul component, we're going to teach them the physical stuff and we're going to work hard and we're going to push and we're going to grind. We're going to do all of those things. But then we also need to invest in their mental state right their mental health their mental well-being but also the mental skills no different than learning a physical skill a single leg. you've got to learn certain mental skills to be able to refocus to be able to do certain things to to develop that mental toughness or whatever it is but it's practiced it's it's intentional it doesn't just happen by accident sometimes it does happen by accident in the backyard or or in, in other places and you know kind of the cream rises to the top sort of thing but if we've got a whole room of athletes we don't want just the cream to rise to the top we want to train every single one of them to be excellent so we do the physical stuff we do the mental stuff but then that third dimension that heart comes down to your why like your purpose and the heart is where the value purpose and significance is and without training that component kids can get to a certain level and it can be detrimental to their health. It can be detrimental to their heart if they're not equipped with with Helen. When um, something very interesting about her that that I I've shared this and she wrote a thank you card to me before the games that that morning we went down there and she's like here I want to give this to you now because the things that I feel should not change depending on how today it goes. You're like, You're, that's that's true. So you're grateful for, you know, whatever my role in her life was. Like she was grateful for it and she didn't need a win or a loss to quantify it. It was so I thought that was a really cool gesture. Like she gave, she wrote the thank you card out before the event. And so that whole week leading up to it, it was like, listen, if you're not enough without the gold medal, you'll never be enough with it. And that's a John Candy quote from Cool Runnings.
1: What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Pohata podcast. As usual, I'm Matt Brouse of Pohata Photography, and this time around, I'm accompanied by my friend Chris Claveter. We sit down to talk with Kevin Black of the Victory School of Wrestling, his new Heart and Hustle charity, which is helping kids of all ages and women get into wrestling, as well as coaching people, not just athletes, to the highest levels. Kevin's a great guy with some great stories, and if you've been feeling at all unmotivated lately, this should help kick it up a notch for you. Speaking of the Victory School of Wrestling, they are the default sponsor of this episode. If you are in and around the Twin Cities or Western Wisconsin, are a kid or person with dreams of wrestling glory or know someone, make sure to look into the Victory School of Wrestling. Without further ado, my conversation with Kevin Black. Kevin Black. Hello. I want to talk to you about three things. Okay. In as indirect and disorganized a fashion as possible. Sounds good. Wrestling. Mm -hmm. Your wrestling. Your story. People are interested. The Victory School of Wrestling. Did I get the name right? Yep. Okay. And... First and foremost, the heart and hustle charity mm-hmm. because I'm a sucker for a good cause. Cool. So, what is the heart and hustle charity?
0: Um, well, kind of, Thank kinda you for goes, wearing that shirt, so I can yeah, get the name right. right on the first try. <laughs> it, um, it really is is just pretty straightforward because we started um, Victory School of Wrestling again here last August and um, have some senior level female wrestlers and looking at some other options. We have some masters and. and Eventually, some collegiate wrestlers and and then some students who come from um, families that maybe don't have some of that expendable income. So we we just needed to start a nonprofit in order to um, help some people like that because we when we had Victory School of Wrestling going we. Had talked to a couple of people who said they wanted to help, and um, they said in order to do that we needed to have a nonprofit. So we did some homework. We looked around and tried to figure out what how best to um, provide that opportunity for people to support these athletes and and to give um, in a legal way. And so we, you know, we went through the process of starting a nonprofit. So the Heart and Hustle, um, our our mission is um, to help you know, support people pursuing excellence in the sport of wrestling. And um, that can look like a lot of different things. Right now at Victory, we've got some senior level athletes who are training to, you know, make an Olympic team in 2024 and uh, make world teams before that. A lot of traveling, a lot of um, extra expenses to be an elite athlete. Uh, They don't have the time to have full-time jobs. And, um, you know, they're training costs, cost money. So, uh, that's one area that we're able to support athletes, um, with the helps of others. And, and people want to be a part of that. They want to contribute. They like being attached to winners. And, um, so that, that's a, that's one of the opportunities. And then the other one is that we're able to help, um, students who might not be able to afford taking advantage of the opportunities. When, when you start a, a, a big club, um, it quickly becomes a rich person sport and a lot of other sports have really eliminated that kid who is from the wrong side of the tracks, you know, or has a rough upbringing and those kinds of athletes really thrive in wrestling, if they have that grit and that survivor fighter mentality, but it costs money to pay for the lights. And, you know, we, we, We've got to make sure that they pull their weight. So that's, that's a way to get some of those kids in. So we're scholarshiping for athletes this year. There's some rules with the state, um, both Minnesota and Wisconsin state associations. So we're, we're able to scholarship some some middle school kids and, and to be able to offset some costs. So it's, it's pretty exciting. And um, really that there, there's a couple ways we can support athletes individually um, through the Heart & Hustle you can sponsor an athlete, and um, kind of similar to the old, the old church ways of, of people raising their own support, um, a lot of those Christian ministries, people have to go door-to-door or meet with families, and they raise their salary, and people support them. Um, and that's a similar idea here with some of these senior-level athletes is that they would have um, families or friends or, or other people helping with 20 bucks a month or, you know, $40 a month and those types of things then accumulate and help, help them pay for their, for their food and, and, and training needs. So that's really, that's really what we're doing with the Heart and Hustle.
1: So it's fundamentally an access based charity. Like you're allowing people who wouldn't otherwise have access to this or access to it at that level to have access to it through the funding.
0: Yeah. Right. And then they're on a, you know, then they're on a team. They're, they're an essential piece of the puzzle. And, um, yeah, people like supporting. It's, it's really, it's really cool because people do like supporting a good cause or they like supporting somebody that they know and, and helping them reach their dreams. They feel like they're a part of it. There's the hands and feet, you know, some people are hands, some people are feet. Well, and you can, you get to like see and almost live the
1: impact you're having versus donating to like United Way and like sort of knowing that it's going to something good somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's like right in front of you in your neighborhood. Yeah, it's tangible, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've looked a little bit into starting a nonprofit. I've got a project in mind, and you've done that, and you're also considering like state and like high school league regulations and all that kind of stuff. Is that mm-hmm. probably the most complicated project you've ever gotten involved in?
0: Um, it was pretty tedious with some of the paperwork through the state um Derek my my partner he you know he met with a lawyer and made sure that we did things the right way because i think that um when we started victory 15 years ago i was a sole proprietor and i just really just shot from the hip and did whatever we needed to i paid my bills and paid taxes however the accountant told us but we <laughs> didn't know what we were doing and so in round 2 um Derek owns some properties and he's got some other other things that he does so and his wife's an accountant, so they knew that they needed to follow some certain rules. That was really helpful for me. So then when we when we when we decided we we're gonna also add a non profit comp- component to what we were doing, um, we just met with a lawyer he met with a lawyer and took all the right steps, all the necessary steps. But I'm a high school wrestling coach too and I just knew that we needed to make sure that we we did things right for those kids too, you know. Yeah. yeah. You said we reopened victory yeah yeah so um when i was in college i had one of my coaches um started advanced school of wrestling in madison troy steiner and there was a a, another wrestling there, there there was a wrestling school that our coach had recruited from out of new jersey it was called the edge and the the new york regional training center trains there now but the edge um was going out in New Jersey, had people from all over that would come and train, had a professional coach who kinda did the thing. It was the first like real big wrestling school. Okay. And then in yeah
2: Go was that question. before Sunkiss Kids?
0: Yeah, Sunkiss Kids was yeah, it was they're they're kind of two different types of clubs and, and, oh, okay. and styles. So um so the Edge had high school kids that came and trained from from all over New Jersey, and it was like iron sharpens iron kind of thing. And then they would send them off to these clubs. So um, my college coach would recruit from that club; those were the best kids, you know, no problem. And then um, in Chicago, one of my former coaches, Sean Bornett, who's now the head coach at Michigan, started Overtime School of Wrestling, and um, I, I believe that was around like 2000, 2001. Um, and then Troy Steiner started an advanced school of wrestling. So I was around all of these wrestling schools, wrestling clubs, and I saw kind of like their mission and vision. And I was, I was doing summer camps and going around and, you know, just showing some technique and, um, these little summer camp things that were three days, kids would pay a couple hundred bucks for a three-day camp. Um, I liked showing technique. I liked hanging out, but, thought this isn't really how you train you don't really get better going i mean you do you get better but is it worth your investment to spend 200 bucks 500 bucks for a weekend camp or can you take that money spread it out over a course of time and actually train and have a purpose and not just go to practices so i saw that the edge was doing this and then over time in chicago and here troy had advanced and people were doing it and so um i was just kind of finishing up at college and my wife was a pharmacist and she could get a job anywhere and she happened to get one in River Falls and I said I'm like you know what if we're going to do this let's let's take a risk and go for it let's get a club and do this thing and have a year-round training facility um, so we started in our basement and we rented this house that had a racquetball court attached to it and Whose house has a racquetball so, court yeah, attached to right? it? And so <laughs> um, we put some mats down, and we outgrew that space in like two weeks. Um, so then we were looking around, and the place we're in right now used to be a fitness center in River Falls racquetball courts. Um, Shout out to racquetball. Yeah, right? Making it happen. Yeah. So Thanks we, for dying, racquetball. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> we went in and um, renovated the space and made what Victory is today. Um, back in 2006 and did all the construction and and everything and tried to like build this. Like I had a vision for kind of a world-class training facility with the high ceilings and flags, kind of like, you know, when we travel overseas and some of these Russian gyms and it's like, they've got the real high ceilings and just thought this, we could really do something special here. And um, so we, we had this facility, but then also it became about training Year round, you know, following periodization protocols and doing things the right way, and um, it just was kind of getting started. And now, now there's there there are these clubs kind of all over Pinnacle in the cities was starting right around the same time too. And they had guys who you know they underst- we we understood training. We're professional coaches. It wasn't just a weekend camp. Um, it wasn't just show up at practice. Everything we did had a plan, and it followed a progression and we saw some results and it was really pretty incredible. And so we did that in round one for about seven years. And then um, my kids were getting older and it just got more difficult for me by myself as a sole proprietor to run this thing and pay the bills and keep the doors opened. And um, so I made a transition and started coaching at River Falls High School. Um, we kept like victory on life support for a little while running out of out of the basement at, at the middle school in river falls, but it just never really worked that way. Thane and check who's with us now helped out. And, um, we just ended up saying that nah, we're not going to do that anymore. We ran a couple summer camps and, um, I kept the USA wrestling charter going every year. Um, but invested in coaching at the high school. We had some other female athletes that were coming and We could train them through that. And, uh, and then, and then two years ago, I, talked to Derek and the wrestling in this area had kind of started taking a dive. It wasn't as good. I'm like, gosh, we need victory back. We need victory back. A lot of people were talking, a lot of coaches. We'd go to, you know, seating meetings and I'm like, Kevin, are you ever going to open up victory again? And uh, so Derek and I talked at Northern Badger two years ago and like, let's do this. So um, we just started looking into some options and we were going to start then that spring and then COVID happened. And so, um, so that, put a little, little stop to that, that beginning stages. But um, we had found a space we were going to go with and and it wasn't ready when we wanted it. And then there was also COVID. So we were um, working out in some sheds across, across this part of the state. And and then uh, just really, it was an incredible happenstance that the space that I was in seven years before that, which had become batting cages was no longer to operate because of COVID. And, um, I just sent her the lady who was in charge. I sent her a message on Facebook and asked where they were at on things. Um, because we were trying to get into a place in June, um, of last year and and it wasn't ready. And then we were going to try to get in in July and it wasn't ready. And we had to, we had to start in August because people were looking for other places, other clubs. And we, um, we looked at some places in Roberts, old fireworks place. And and then I'm like, I'm just going to call them. That's, I, I was familiar with it. I'm like, I could get my old office back. There's saunas in there. Like, let's just do it. So I called her and she's like, yeah, we're done. We're out. I'm like, wait, what? And uh, this was like on a Tuesday. And <laughs> the end of July on a Tuesday. And I'm like, well, can we just, she's like, yeah, our, our lease ends in, in two months and we're done. We already put in our notice. We're, we're done. I'm like, well, can we just. Take over your lease and then start when you're done. She's Mm like, "Yeah, I'm fine with that." Like, okay, well, we move fast. Like, we when we're in, we're in, and we're gonna do this. So, can we start this weekend? (laughs) And she's like, "Yeah," but we got all of our equipment in there. So we went up there and we got all the equipment out. um, These big, gigantic pitching machines and cages, and we just all night. We're there all night through the night, just grinding. You know, probably put in. Gosh, what thirty hours there in in two days, mm-hmm. two two and a half days, and got everything out and we had a camp that weekend in that old <laughs> space. The paint wasn't ready. We didn't have any pads on the wall, but we just threw some mats down in that open space and had a team from, from Minnesota come over and we did a little clinic and then that next week we started victory victory stuff in August and That was just it was in pretty July awesome. Of
2: 20, yeah, just last year, twenty twenty.
0: Twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Yep. and you ended up wow. in the space you started ended up in the exact same that's, space that's so a, it, it was it was awesome because you know we would go through there and and derek was he's like well what about this thing i'm like no no my dad put that up there like you know 15 <laughs> years ago so you know the the power to the the dryer in the in yeah, the girls yeah. locker room runs this way we took it off the 220 over here so then you know hooked up a new sauna in there and so you already know it's pretty awesome we knew the bones yeah yeah, yeah. and that's they're good. old old bones in that building that is an old building
2: that's a, Okay, that makes a lot more... I thought you'd been... Just being in the facility, I thought yeah. you guys had been there for a lifetime. It's a great facility. yeah, And it's got everything you'd want in a training facility with the saunas, yep. the weight room. It's mm-hmm. an above antique shop. That's the yeah. only... Yeah. Uh, well, it's auditing. got everything
0: he wants because he put it in there. I put it in there, right? Like, <laughs> right. like well, f- 15 years ago, we, yeah, it was... but I mean, yep. to
2: mm-hmm. have that happen... Stan- yeah. Have a chance of where you just, you got your old facility back no. it, and it's yeah. exactly what you would need versus having to do it all over again. Yeah. But, um, and I guess that's also, plays into why it feels like you've been there forever because you were there before and back again, but the, it's an, just, the it's, antique store thing. It's though. kind of blowing my I mind know, right? that you were, it's pretty sweet because I was in, I didn't start asking about training facilities around this area until, I mean. It was actually pretty close to when you guys opened this. Right, yeah. So it would have been like August, September I mm-hmm. was looking into it. Yep. And somebody happened to be wearing a shirt that said Victory School of Wrestling at a tournament. I asked, oh, is that, you know, I started asking and they kind of gave me the shrugged shoulders. And I don't really know. I'm just wearing the shirt. Uh, I don't really know what they're about or what they do. Whatever. And well, nobody that's not had good advertising. Well, I was in Wisconsin. <laughs> so I was asking people about... Yeah. Yeah. This Victory School of Wrestling, in Wisconsin, and nobody had any answers. and I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out why, and now it makes sense of yeah. why they didn't have answers. I think because you guys just opened your we doors. Had just
0: reopened. Yeah, yeah, yep. and, and so and we were we had plans in the spring to do some pretty big things, and we had, um, we had like thirty kids at a practice on on a Tuesday, and um, and then that Thursday because we were practicing in the middle school right away because we were waiting for our building to be open so we started in March and we had a practice on a Tuesday and then stuff got crazy with COVID and Thursday we sent out an email and said "Uh, I don't think this is a good idea we're going to just wait and see what happens well then that Friday is when you know the NBA canceled and Mm -hmm all these things started closing down the NCAs for wrestling. And so that, that was right. Re- like we had one practice, <laughs> we had one practice Great. and then COVID happened. And so then we're like, Oh darn it. We had, we had like 30 kids at that first one and there was a good buzz and everybody was ready to go. Cause it was just after the high school season. So we had high school programs bought in, but then, you know, then COVID happened and we were waiting for our, our space, but that space wasn't ready. It's still not ready, but there's some other things that are going on there in river falls. But, um, yeah, so we we built that out 15 years ago. Yeah, it was pretty cool, and and you know it fit right in yeah, into get the your space back into the vision. Yeah,
2: that's really. I mean, I can't believe how much of a moment of faith that is to get to get yeah. right back at that time. And the COVID thing happening—that's Caitlin Young and Ryan's story too. That they opened and had essentially what a week.
1: Yeah, they, it was first. They opened first week of March or like last week of February, and March 15th was the day everything. Yeah, stopped. then they
2: got shut down. So. And then just happen to be friends and members of both gyms that happen to close down and survive through all that. But mm-hmm. yeah, you guys are—you uh, guys probably could give some classes on this kind of on how to how to keep a business afloat for your first year after. <laughs> well, maybe I don't know.
0: I don't year. know if we. I don't know if we're afloat yet. It's still still working. Still trying to figure things out. They don't want to do the Cuomo
1: thing and write a book about how good a job you did three yeah. months into a no. big problem. Yeah, I'm so saying maybe one give day. it a couple years.
2: And yeah, right. how is how are the attendance numbers? Are people it's okay. it looks um, like more and more people every the, week. The
0: thing but. that's been hard is, so last year we got some quick exposure because Minnesota had to shut down like mm-hmm. they couldn't they they couldn't get into groups and we could. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it was fortunate for us we were upstairs. So we weren't like an attractive nuisance on Main Street people looking through windows. People didn't really know what we were doing up there. Mm-hmm. So um people would go upstairs and it would just wrestle. Mm-hmm. Um, and people came from, you know, from Minnesota who were a part of other clubs, but those clubs weren't able to, to, to do anything. So, um, those, that first month in August, we had a ton of kids, um, at the middle school and high school ages, but this whole year, and even now it's been really, really hard to connect with youth wrestlers. They're not wrestling in tournaments. Um, in round one of victory, I would show up at those local tournaments at, you know, at Hudson or River Falls or New Richmond and hand, hand out some flyers and shake some hands and meet some people. And, um, they saw little victory singlets out there and kids in victory t-shirts. There's Mm -hmm. 300 kids running around and, you know, we'd get one or two at those events. And those were, those were worth it for us to go to and hand out flyers and have a little, little poster up and, Somebody would look, and then we'd get a call, and they'd try it out. And we don't have any access to that, you know. We can send emails, and we yeah. can we can advertise on social media, and hopefully parents are looking at it. But when we would get to go to those youth tournaments, um, and they're crazy. The youth turn I'm not a huge fan of youth tournaments. They, I'm like allergic to them. But yeah. when we get there, it's like okay, drop off a flyer or hand a flyer to a mom, hand a flyer to a dad. I see a kid that a guy that I used to wrestle with, and I'm like, hey, why don't you send your kid here? And then they'd come and try it out, and then it was good word of mouth, but... Um, so our, our numbers for the youth, I think we've not, we haven't even scratched the surface on what we could do And with when are back you the right wrestling,
2: regular competing? How often, I'm new to Wisconsin, so how often are the uh, kids competing? Like, when does the youth club level mm-hmm. competition season begin and end? In, Fr-
0: first define youth. Yeah, youth, youth is, is before middle school for the most part. Okay. So like um, up to sixth or seventh grade. Whatever. Yeah, some of the, some of the middle school programs, um, work alongside those youth, but it's generally K through five or these youth tournaments okay. on a Saturday. And, and traditionally, they've been a big fundraiser for local clubs. So every little local wrestling club, mm-hmm. um, I'm a part of River Falls, you know, we're here in Hudson, and then there's, there's every club, Baldwin, Woodville, Chippewa Falls, New Richmond, Clear Lake, Cameron, all of these communities have youth tournaments some of them have 150 kids some of them have 500 kids um the H- hudson and prescott ones are pretty big because they're right on the border they get, get a lot of people mm-hmm. from the cities um so those are are those are the primary fundraiser for youth clubs which if if you look at long-term athlete development models and i'm really big into you know what is best for kids not just what's good for parents but um it might not be best to have youth tournaments just for the reason to make money. And, but it, it's, it's what funds some of these youth programs, these youth clubs. So, so you, every weekend from January mm-hmm. until the middle of March, there's mm-hmm. a tournament that you could drive to you know, within a half hour yeah. to 45 minutes. And that, that's kind of been the youth scene in this part of the state northwest wisconsin. It's
2: not that long of a time but when you do put it like that that they're 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 fighting to fund the mm-hmm. training facilities. Yeah. It starts kind of sounding like those uh Buffalo Fighters in Thailand but way less severe. Oh yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you're putting kids to the ringer. Yeah. Through a pretty tough se- day so you guys can have your facility. Yeah, and that's it, you, we've talked on off of the show before about how wrestling keeps eating internally mm-hmm. they sell shirts to their own people mm-hmm. they sell club passes to their own people and you're not pulling people from the outside yeah in you know and my kind of thought on our conversations before is grappling's growing the mm-hmm. grappling communities are merging together right and there's there a lot of cross training going on mm-hmm. and in this area everybody in jujitsu grew up wrestling Mm-hmm. Oh, Everybody does Jiu-Jitsu Hudson Pretty much grew up wrestling And the few suckers who didn't Have a really bad time for the most part um, But yeah, you got a lot of big white belts in there But now that they see that And then for them to uh, Talk to other people Who didn't have their kids Who didn't grow up wrestling And they talk to their kids Now their kids are going into wrestling right? But then they might be the kind of people Who don't know where to go around here They send their kid to Well, I Google Hudson Wrestling mm-hmm. And they get a youth club They don't get victories, wrestling training, Mm -hmm. and the level of coaching they're going to be getting there, right? And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I'm like thinking about, the focus of like how to grab people externally and bring them in, and that's the first tier of people I think that would be easier to grab. The
1: Mm -hmm. first grab is ancillary grappling and or fighting activities.
2: People grew up doing judo, and they know that wrestling is a – I mean, wrestling is probably more popular in America. Maybe I'm looking only down my echo chamber here, but – Wrestling looks like it's more popular than ever. We have had the best world men's team, you know, performance ever. We uh, everybody knows a wrestler. Everybody respects wrestlers. Everybody knows something about wrestling now, right? Um, anywhere you go, it seems, it feels like people understand it. And so, when all these ancillary grapplers have a deeper understanding, even of that, now they're sending their kids to wrestling camps, right, and wrestling schools. But one of the problems might happen to come up is they send their kid to a club. Where it's a or a middle school, middle school is probably one of the worst spots for wrestlers, and they sent it in Minnesota. We had, saw this happen. They sent it to middle school, and the middle school coach is the science teacher who wrestled yeah. seventh through tenth grade, mm-hmm. and this parents watching these results and going, "You're not teaching them anything good. I'm going to keep them back in judo." Mm-hmm. To reach out to those people and hit them directly while they're making these decisions and bring them to a high level place that they see their kids. And that's another thing. All these mm-hmm. parents, even if they're not grapplers and obviously, they know wrestling's a sport that's tough. And your kid is a winner there. Your kid's gonna be a champion in life. Mm-hmm. And so many of these parents want to just send their kids somewhere where they go, "Hey, you're gonna get a huge leg up," you know. Mm-hmm. And I think this new understanding of wrestling is gonna bring has the potential to bring a lot of new blood to wrestling, mm-hmm. and we should be looking to capitalize on that. Strike all that. Yeah.
0: I hope so. I hope that like, um, in the wrestling world and in kind of in the national governing body of sports world, they, they refer to that as grassroots, the mm-hmm. grassroots development, the youth, the people that are coming in and, um, in wrestling, the, there are a lot of new people that come every year, but there's a lot of kids that don't come back out too. Yeah. So it's a, you know, like a huge percentage of the USA wrestling members are first time members. But the retention isn't as great in wrestling as it is in other sports. But youth wrestling in general, um, there's a lot of kids that participate in youth sports. But by the time they get to be 13 or 14 years old, aren't, aren't continuing to participate for a variety of reasons. So that retention is one of the focuses from a grassroots development in wrestling. If we get them to try, how do we keep them, right? But it's hard. It's weird. It's stuffy you go in a gym you're there all day you know some sometimes people like having a schedule they know oh okay we play on this day on Saturday when we go to a youth tournament in wrestling it's like you, you got to get up early you get there in time for weigh-ins and then you maybe go have a little breakfast and then you're in the gym all day mm-hmm. and then you get home at four o'clock in the afternoon and it was your whole Saturday and that I think is is impacting the numbers just the way that we we compete um, it's an all-day endeavor so um, yeah, I, I think they like me, wrestling is growing. One of the biggest opportunities for growth in wrestling is actually really kind of scared of it is female participant and you know the women's wrestling is growing exponentially in this country but the wrestling community is is really scared of the growth of female wrestling it's just they don't understand it. We're pretty traditionalist and it's it's hard a lot of people on the outside, see the boys and girls opportunity and they respect they respect both of them but within the wrestling community women's wrestling is not on the same level as as men's wrestling as far as respect In that it makes sense and from the youth level all the way up to the senior level um
2: is this worldwide or is this are you speaking to USA Wrestling? USA,
0: yeah. Here in the U.S., it's right. Is it yeah. the
2: Is it the actual committee of USA Wrestling? that people? No, in, they're committed.
0: They 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 love it. They're all about. You it's, know, just the the it's just the kind of cultural norms. Fans. Yeah, the, yeah. The cultural norms and yeah, there's stigmas attached to it still, and
2: yeah. I mean, and you're more exposed to those people's opinions mm-hmm. in your ear. Obviously, people aren't going to post their negative opinions about it online. It's got a real big buzz, you know, whenever you go on like any kind of social media platform. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wrestlers Only page on Facebook is like the biggest wrestling page on Facebook. And there's, there's a good amount of chatter and like congratulations to the, to the women who do well and, and the following of them it seems to be growing. But yeah, I'm just asking, like, I kind of have my guesses about who it would be because in, in the world of boxing, Kate uh, is the organizing governing body over MMA, they oversee MMA everywhere you go in this country. And they don't have some of these old timers who are running some of these states still look at MMA as a sideshow mm-hmm. circus act and are treating it like that to this day. They want to talk about boxing first and they want to focus on boxing and then whatever times left over they'll discuss for MMA mm-hmm. when they don't recognize that MMA has overtaken boxing or will, you know. Yeah. And so is that kind of the what you're seeing in wrestling? Or um, yeah,
0: re- wrestling has an interesting relationship with MMA. No, too, I mean with with but, the women's scene. Are you yeah. seeing
2: them like not take when the what times left over to discuss things? We'll discuss women's wrestling,
0: right? Exactly. And and in my experience, the there's a lot of um oh gosh, maybe we even use the word drama. There's just, there's a lot of a lot of energy being used. Um, at board meetings and different places. And I've been on the board for the Wisconsin Wrestling Federation. We, m- My dad was on the USA Wrestling Board. There's there's a lot of energy and emotion that is tied up to some of the women's opportunities and they're a small percentage of the membership, but they get a large percentage of the energy and emotion. So I think that scares people. They're like, we're just not gonna deal with these people. Every time we, do, we bring that in, there's drama. There's drama with, who's coaching, who's on the teams. And it's just because it's, I think still, there isn't a, um, there's not generation on generation of people who've been in the sport that, you know, there's not a person who's coaching who participated, right? Like Mm. the girls, it's still a new thing. So they don't have female coaches who have been wrestling, who had parents who also wrestled and so there's just so much newness mm-hmm. in the women's wrestling communities and um you'll have people who are are coaching or running programs who maybe aren't maybe don't have the skill set to to run a program or to coach guys but they're coaching girls and so there's just I mean, do you think those people who are of respect
2: do you think those people in those positions who are Maybe not the most educated coaches that are coaching these girls. Do you think that a majority of them, less than a majority of them, are have the have their ego in check to the point where if a better coach stepped up or a better leader stepped up, they'd s- step aside and say, "Okay, you clearly got it Or do they see it as an opportunity for them to get their hooks in and to make a name for themselves? Yeah,
0: it's hard to say. I don't. I don't know. I, I think that there is um, thought that people are using it as a stepping stone quick little Mm -hmm. stepping stone but i guess that hasn't really played out much there aren't very many people who are entering girls wrestling as a stepping stone into more opportunities for the guys it makes sense though um you think that would be logical but i haven't seen i haven't seen that happen one of the reasons i haven't seen it happen is because once these these individuals do enter the women's wrestling scene they're hooked Mm -hmm. like they, there's, there's such a different energy about coaching a female than there is about coaching a guy that you don't just leave them on the side, you know, like you're invested and they become, they become your athletes. And so, um, and it's the same, like when you attach to a a men's program, you know, you don't just, you can't, it's hard to just leave them. So once you cross over and start coaching females, my goodness, those girls then capture that coach too so i think that's another reason why there hasn't been it hasn't been a stepping stone maybe maybe some people thought that it was going to be but then they might get hooked
2: i guess more so i'm saying like uh let's say somebody wants to be a coach Mm -hmm. they you've seen people for whatever reason they want to be a coach so badly and they know they'll never be able to coach a penn state right but maybe they can get into a d1 spot by coaching a d1 women's team Mm -hmm. right so they know they're not qualified for the job to be a D1 coach, but they, they feel like if they can get their foot in the door, they can prove it. So, so you have a less incompetent coach who mm-hmm. shouldn't be at a D1 level coaching a D1 team, but strictly because it's women's and nobody cares who's coaching the women's team, right? right? Mm-hmm. So now there's this incompetent D1 coach. And then only, he's filling a spot that nobody else is willing to fill, so right. great. But then somebody who is competent comes along and goes, hey, I'll, I'll do this. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if those people who, yeah. who started that whole thing would have the ability to say, okay, thanks for taking it from here. Right. You're the guy for the job now.
0: Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. So, um, I was a, a part of one of the Women's College Wrestling Association, the WCWA, which those those schools have split to be a part of NAIA and then NCAA emerging status. Um, they have a different acronym, but basically the NCAA. And... We're, I, I remember very clearly we were in a meeting and one of the, one of the coaches said, listen, guys, like we're trying to grow women's wrestling and you understand if we do this right, we're all out of jobs. <laughs> and, the guy, and then everybody's kind like of like, wait, what, what? And it's like, no, we're, you know, at these small schools, um, that are the college programs right now, like the best women's programs aren't Iowa, Minnesota, mm-hmm. you know, Wisconsin for us here. Um, and Iowa's going to add, they're going to announce in a couple of weeks that they're, they're adding. And once that happens, I knew it, there are those, those other places are, they will become irrelevant. And that's hard because they, they're invested. They've been putting the time in their lives are this right now and they might be the best program. So now you're going to bring in an Iowa, how are you going to compete with that? You know, and they're going to try hard. They're going to still try to compete and they're going to beat them for a little while probably right and so but is that coach then going to make a lateral or maybe even like take a step up and now be coaching at iowa or is iowa gonna look for coaches from a completely different pool are they gonna Mm -hmm. look at these coaches who've been at these small schools you know and say okay you've done this you're up in the big leagues now you know, or do they completely look in a different direction and pull these other coaches? Because now it's now it's a real thing to them. Mm. They're gonna they're gonna get a real quote unquote real coach with real credentials and, and those sorts of things where where I don't think that just because you have a national title as an athlete makes you a good coach. Mm. Um, but that seems to be what the Big Ten thinks, right? Mm. And so they will is Iowa gonna hire some somebody who has NCAA credentials will it have to be a female will it be a guy will they are there enough females out there so there's a lot that's it's crazy stuff
2: i have my guess who's gonna be the iowa coach for the women's team but it, i one of the brands i think
0: well they're both coaching the guys and they right. would be separate programs right so, so they're
2: both coaching yeah. the guys permanently though i mean yeah yeah you don't think i don't think so yeah they were just i'm just guessing from the the camp that they most recently i mean yeah. i was been put i was yeah. been really behind this whole thing and uh, yeah. even a few years ago in a closed door meeting to high school wrestlers Mm -hmm. dan gable spoke about how he wants Iowa to have a women's program and i told i told natalie at the time i said if dan gable wants them in iowa it's gonna happen yeah and yeah we've kind of had it uh, ever since then i was like let's keep an eye and you just every year if you're paying attention you see the the growth and the push Mm -hmm. and then this year i think i think this was their second girls camp in iowa Mm -hmm. maybe it was their first but Mm -hmm. yeah once they started doing the camp i'm like all right if the hawkeyes are doing a hawkeyes Sponsored camp, there's something happening.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, to your point about the the guys saying, okay, we've grown this thing, and if it actually takes off and lands with the big names and stuff, we're actually out of the job. Yeah. I I, I would actually opine that it might not be the case because yeah. it only is going to drag the growth bigger. Mm-hmm. The pool would get bigger. That you know what I mean. It makes mm-hmm. it a real thing for more girls up and coming. There may be a lagging few years, let's yeah. say, but your program will only grow long term because it's a real deal now. I can yeah. I can go to college and wrestle, you know, in seven years, mm-hmm. you know, once I get to college. But if you're a like
0: a, a a small liberal arts school, you know, that you're, you're enrollment driven and mm-hmm. that's that's what's been able to to move the needle for you with women's wrestling. And they're you know, they're they're ninety-nine college programs right now and so iowa might be the 100th that that would be pretty cool but mm-hmm. or whoever adds I, I don't know um but th- so these small schools at these small liberal arts schools um when when the the power five programs add and there's six seven eight ten twenty of these programs are they just going to take the 20 best coaches from these other small programs and move them up and then what's going to happen to these programs you know And so that's one, one thought, but then are these power five programs going to come and they're going to bring big name people to the top because they want to, they want to get the best recruits. They want to be able to be marketable, you know? So if you're Iowa, are you going to hire somebody who's a proven coach in the women's scene, but has no name in the, in the wrestling community, the big wrestling community? women's wrestling community we know these names we know all these coaches we know the three four five six coaches that we would say if you're going to run a women's program like hire this person they understand the women's culture they've been overseas they get the whole thing but they're not a big name who is you know won an NCA title are they going to pick kind of like how they they do with with you know other positions in the big 10 so
1: it's a politics it's, a, it's
0: a crazy thing. well and I, I suppose a potentially analogous thing
1: would be looking at college like women's basketball programs in wmba mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: like did they just pull a bunch of male coaches from the nba to be the collegiate coaches and and WNBA coaches i don't think so awkward pause so. when none of us know the answer well, there but like, are a lot of it's its own organic culture and yeah, people exactly. rose to the top a little bit so hopefully
2: yeah, and I, and at the time of the WNBA, there's probably would have been enough girls growing up playing basketball that there have been people who are competent coaches, females who are competent coaches to coach. Well,
1: and this is actually kind of my point: the yeah. generational turnover every like yeah. six to eight years, when someone who was a good wrestler now becomes a coach, yeah. and they go on to start their own program another four or five years later. That's the, that's like the evolution we've seen in powerlifting, you mm-hmm. know. Like, when I started um, coaching people in powerlifting, kind of getting back into it myself and coaching people in powerlifting in, like, 2014, 2015, it was the early stages of, like, there's a lot of women at this competition this weekend. Mm-hmm. And then by, like, 2018, there were majority women competitions. Mm-hmm. Like, there's X number of slots. it's It fills up in three minutes, and 80% of the people who signed up were women. Yeah. Well, like 12 years ago, there'd have been like two gals in the whole place. Mm-hmm. But there was enough of a turnover every like three to four years where now there's a woman coaching clients at their mm-hmm. gym somewhere, and then they go somewhere else, and it, and it just sort of continues to expand.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just, yeah, I'm just thinking about the whole – mm-hmm. not, I'm not trying to – I realize I'm talking so much more than I planned That's out. why I put
1: a mic in front of you, dude.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Hopkins having a female coach – helps or is is a huge move I think and it we just moved over we were ready to move for wrestling yeah and it was really do we go East or West and there's a lot of factors that I don't really I mean they're just boring so I don't feel like getting into them but thank you there's with the wrestling side of it there was the credential of coaches versus the knowledge of knowing that This girl's a grappler. She's a lifetime grappler. She's been on the mats for a long, long time, the Hopkins women's coach. Mm -hmm. And she's a girl who gets a lot, probably understands, relates to. Your coach is more than just somebody who shows you techniques. So to know that your kid's going to go there with somebody they can open up to, somebody who will get their unique experience.
1: Somebody who was a 13-year-old girl at wrestling practice take from that exactly what you need to take from that you know exactly and and she's lived that experience
2: who's won and lost as that kid you know and and all of it going through there um versus and at the time all i knew about you was your credentials of coaching right and and that you were a great wrestler in wisconsin but you had coached some women to some very the highest levels Right. So then there's the knowledge. There's a little bit of safety and like, OK, you have to at least be a reasonable, somewhat sane human being or at least compassionate, kind. Right. <laughs> to get to that point. And hey, one would hope. And we came over for a few sessions, drop ins, pay them cash or whatever and watch it. And the deci- one of the deciding factors that made us really comfortable move over here was the playfulness in- at victory. Victory School Wrestling, 120 and a half, 125 and a half Main Street, River Falls, Wisconsin. The uh, the playfulness in the your room. Your map though,
1: app will lead you down the block. Uh, don't listen. Yeah. <laughs> Trust your instincts and go follow to the, the antique address. store.
2: Yeah. It's just to the left. It's kind of a secret spot. Kind of reminds me of the old box, like an old, old boxing yeah. gym. But the playfulness in the room. But the kids coming out just drenched. Your facility is set up for it's not really comfortable for parents to hang out and watch, which is a great thing. But I did stick stick around and watch and just watch in the, the work. And then the co- then leave her alone there and go across the street, have chicken strips, whatever, right? Go outside, pick her up. She's just trenched with smiling. And then getting to asking her, we have a very good communication in our relationship, especially on those drives home. And we get to talking about, well, what did you guys do? What did you think about this? What did you think about that? She's like, it's fun. It's crazy in there, but it's fun. And you want to be in there all day. Mm-hmm. And that's the, okay. This guy is... Ma- is, is is at least going to be a, a nice, fun person who's going to get you through the day for the most part. And then coming to discover later on about how much more mindful you are of all this stuff and then how much the other, the senior girls in there are filling in maybe any potential missing spots, yeah. right? Um, Natalie coming home and being able to, not telling me what they talked about, but being able to say that they they bonded and connected and talked, you know, about stuff and, mm. There's some stuff work through. It's really, you know, it's a lot as a parent. Like, wow, that's we okay. Mm-hmm. And these are all factors that go into. It feels. I feel like we'll have to play into women's wrestling, from the kindergartner, all the way to the Olympian, mm-hmm. right? And there's whole new ways of coaching and philosophies and pushing, and even with generational differences. Mm-hmm. There's a whole different generation and how they're motivated, right? Mm-hmm. And this hunt for the coaches who get it who get all these new nuances and that's going to be a tough hunt, I think, because wrestling's a whole old school culture. Work harder, shut up, quit crying about it. Mm-hmm. If you break, see ya. Mm-hmm. And the ones who are left at the end, they're the champs, but it's different now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Who'd you
1: lead to the top? He used the phrase, you led a few people to the highest levels. We
2: had
0: in, in 2010, um, we had uh, a athlete named Helen Marulis. She came. She she lived in our basement with with another athlete, and um, she trained here, and then went to Simon Fraser for college. Was gone for a few months, and then came back that next summer. and And I was kind of her personal coach for a little while, and then um, and then kind of became like the mental, spiritual coach of her. So we would communicate um, about about non-wrestling stuff to help her to just be emotionally and spiritually well. And so I had the opportunity to, um, you know, go to Rio with her, and um, she won an Olympic gold medal. So it was a pretty, pretty cool experience. And, um, yeah, so she was really, really, like, part of our family, lived in our basement, and, you know, my kids saw her, like, kind of as, you know, big sister type thing. When the we first woman to win a gold neat. medal for the U.S., yeah the first one yeah yeah, yeah. and then and then the second one was 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 Tamara Mensa and mm-hmm. she was she was here this past Christmas she's friends with one of one of the girls that trains here full-time um Precious Bell so she came for for a week around Christmas to to hang out with Precious and wrestle and a little bit so that was pretty cool too did so, she
2: just chew up everybody in the room
0: she did yeah she was good she was good yeah and we threw some of our middle school guys they they were there during one of the practices and and um, We got this one little guy JD who's there like every day, and we're like, "JD, go! You're in! You're going live!" And she just she beat the tar out of him. JD's a good sport, though.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: The like
1: semi-stereotypical Midwestern guy's description of dominating the world in a sport is something that I needed to hear. Like, oh, like. We got to go to Rio, and she won a gold medal, and it, it was it <laughs> yeah. was a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. maybe we'll oh, do it again shucks. sometime. Yeah. Yeah. it was you really know, enjoyable. Yeah. It's like
2: when I came back from a cruise, how I described it. Like, yeah, it was yeah. it was all right. It was, it was a lobster. Was I'm really glad I got to go through that. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I, it was. I think one of the one of the like most important ingredients for Helen when she won the gold medal was um, she did have very few, um, people that just really just treated her like Helen. And I'm like, listen, I know I met her, um, in f- for the first time, um, a few years before that. And she was, she was a senior in high school and she just, she just missed her, her family. She was, she did her senior year at a different school and, um, you know, was kind of fast tracking up the, up the, uh, the ladder and she had made some senior teams and, they thought she was gonna make the 2012 team, and I, I thought she was too, and she had a setback. But I I remember like meeting her, and it was just this. She was just a kid. Like actually, I was supposed to go over and and the, our sponsor, New York Athletic Club. He's like, go. She didn't make weight at a tournament. He's like, go scare her and tell her that this can't be this way, and you know that she'll have to pay for her own trips and. Like I'm not gonna go yell at somebody. Like that's not like that's not who I am. You picked the wrong person to do that. <laughs> and so I went over and we just had a conversation. And she just missed being home. And it was like, she's just she's just a person, you know. So I think the the most important part of my role in her journey, um, and going into two two thousand sixteen was I I just told him you're just I'm just gonna treat you like Helen, not like a wrestler, like some superstar. You're just you're just a kid. You're you a know? human being, not you're a, a product. human being, not a product exactly, and and there's so much performance-based acceptance in in sport and you get to that highest level if you win you are accepted if you win you're cool you're win- if you win you get a lot of really neat things and a lot of support from people but if you don't win they're going to support the person that won and that i mean that's okay that's the nature of the beast and you know, we're going to, the person that wins the trials, that's the one that gets to go to the Olympics. If you don't win, you don't get to go. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this isn't like everybody is a winner type thing, but those people need to have friendships and need to have relationships, especially with coaches and teammates that treat them the same, regardless if they win or lose. And and that's hard to find when you're dealing with athletes who are at that level. And it's, it's I mean, parents included parents, in the youth sports culture, all the way up it's a lot of performance-based acceptance when they win they like you more Mm -hmm. and and kids pick up on that people see that so for for my role with helen it was like listen i i don't care if you win or lose i mean of course i of course i do but i'm not going to treat you any differently whether if you win or lose and and i had to i had to show up and be a person of my word for that several times she didn't make the team in 2012 i'm like i don't I don't care. You're just still just howling. And so, yeah, I'm still going to high five you when you come off the mat. Yeah. And so that that was, I I feel like that's been my, um, one of my strengths as a coach um, with both boys and girls is, of course, I want to win. I'm as competitive as anybody that mm-hmm. I know. Like, I want to win at everything all the time, except for the arguments with my wife. I'll let her <laughs> win those. That's better for us. But, like, I want to compete in everything, and I want to win. But, God darn it. That's not why we do what we do. It has to be bigger than that. And our athletes have to know that win or lose, I'm going to treat them like humans and not like products, not like, not like an advertising piece, not somebody that I'm going to, you know, and it's, it's really hard for us with victory because we want to attach our name to certain things, but that's not who we are. That's not our mission. We're, we're, you know, we're going to be more holistic, and as much as we want to parade around and attach our name to success, these athletes don't need that. These athletes need us to treat them the same win or lose. and, how- and then we can get them to win more, I
2: believe how do you how do you find you obviously motivate these wrestlers to push themselves to the red line point for? Large chunks of time During practice I've seen these kids in the room I've seen How they come out of the room They are working hard A lot of people The shortcut to the Getting that work performance Out of a wrestler Out of a fighter Is to Dog them out Basic training style mm-hmm. Make them feel like They've got something to prove It's It's worked for me You know in the past It's And so it's It's gonna work for somebody else Right mm-hmm. So I'm going to prove, how do you get past that, that where that, Mm -hmm. that's the shortcut, the easy way to get somebody motivated. How do you get to where they uh, still feel loved and accepted and Mm -hmm. there's nothing to prove, but for some reason I've got to prove something.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I think for what we are set up to do is, you know, in our mission and vision at victory is we coach the total athlete, body, mind, and soul. And we want, (laughs) like, if we're going to put that on our wall, we've got to, We've got to actually do what we say and follow through with it. So with with the body, mind, and soul component, we're going to teach them the physical stuff, and we're going to work hard, and we're going to push, and we're going to grind. We're going to do all of those things. But then we also need to invest in their mental state, right? Their mental health, their mental well being, but also the mental skills. No different than learning a physical skill, a single leg. You've got to learn certain mental skills, to be able to refocus, to be able to do certain things to to develop that mental toughness or whatever it is, but it's practiced. It's it's intentional. It doesn't just happen by accident. Sometimes it does happen by accident in the backyard or or in in other places and, you know, kind of the cream rises to the top sort Mm -hmm. of thing. But If we've got a whole room of athletes, we don't want just the cream to rise to the top. We want to train every single one of them to be excellent. So we do the physical stuff, we do the mental stuff, but then that third dimension, that heart, comes down to your why, like your purpose. And the heart is where the value, purpose, and significance is. And without training that component, kids can get to a certain level and it can be detrimental to their health. It can be detrimental to their heart if they're not equipped with, with Helen, when um, something very interesting about her that, that I've shared this and she wrote a thank you card to me before the games that, that morning we went down there and she's like, here, I want to give this to you now because the things that I feel should not change depending on how today goes. You're like, you're, that's, that's true. So you're grateful for, you know, whatever my role in her life was. Like she was grateful for it and she didn't need a win or a loss to quantify it. It was, so it, I thought that was a really cool gesture. Like she gave, she wrote the thank you card out before the event. And so that whole week leading up to it, it was like, listen, if you're not enough without the gold medal, you'll never be enough with it. And that's a John Candy quote from Cool Runnings. Like you you will never be enough. And and that that's the thing is people are chasing that and hunting that. And then they get there and it never Satisfies them, it never fills them. So that that third dimension, the heart, what we have body, mind, and soul, that's where your value, purpose, and significance is. And if we're not exercising where you're finding your value, if we're not exercising that you matter apart from these gold medals, we're gonna throw these people into a situation because we're gonna train them. We're gonna get them, we're gonna, we're gonna make them winners. We are like we're gonna, we've got the formula, we're gonna do it. Okay. But if we put them on top of the podium and we've never addressed this issue of who they are without sport, oh my goodness, we've actually set them up for failure. Because there's so many people who get to that top and you watch, you know, the Super Bowl or the World Series or or these people they're like, has it sunk in yet? No, it hasn't sunk in yet because it never will. It will not change you, right? It's not gonna change your heart. Yeah, you got a cool award and that's great. And if you're secure in who you are before you might enjoy it a little bit more and it might be satisfying but it's never going to give you more value you're already as valuable as you'll ever be and so we have to coach that we've got to make sure that our athletes know that every single day they come in yeah we're going to work but at the end of the day your value is independent of your success you know and um
2: People should be going to Victory in the morning before work yeah. just to get this kind of coaching done. <laughs> no, but no wrestling club is doing this for sure, let alone coaching. And I mean, so many people have coaches in variable ways and hearing about a, a focus on this. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying resonates so deeply in so many different – all the top, all mm-hmm. the one percenters. I was just talking yeah. last night with a, a friend of mine – being a comedian in LA and as he gets more, he just did an Amazon special, Josh Floorhog. He just did an Amazon special and just talking about how lonely it's getting. Mm -hmm. And he got an Amazon special, but now he's what's next. What's, what's more, uh, Jim Jeffries talked about it on one Mm -hmm. of his shows about Mm -hmm. you get a special, then you get a TV show, then you get a movie, then they, and people keep asking what's next, what's next. And you don't, ever feel like it's enough
1: mm-hmm. aziz ansari said something like that um it was either after the first or second season of second to none second no what was the name of his show
2: uh, uh master, master of none, Manus, second
1: yeah. to none but like you drop an entire season of a show on netflix and like later that week fans come up to you say oh i love this season it was great when's the next one coming out <laughs> Like, next year, bro. We work kind on of it for a year. Yeah. Know, same sort of thing. What's next? Cool. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. That, what's next?
2: That is one nice thing about competing as an adult in these combat arts is that you do anything, and it's like being a little kid again. Congratulations. Nobody's asking what's next. Nobody's asking what it really means. Everyone Nobody can ask how
1: many people are in your division. Everyone in your friend group is like holy crap you did what yeah oh, that's amazing you got
2: up and did something <laughs> wow every day yeah for weeks <laughs> holy cow sort
1: of a low bar but like it's probably a good balancing uh
0: reflection between the two but sets the amount of, of hap- you'll see but people but more happy you're gonna say yeah, that, yeah that's yeah, yeah. The, that's the secret sauce right and mm-hmm. that's what when you're um there's th- three-dimensional coaching fca has um both like for like in the school district but then also in like the church ministry side of things they have these like three-dimensional coaching body mind and soul you got to teach each component and when it comes down to it you're participating in sport because it's fun Mm -hmm. right and left to their own devices sports are inherently fun they should be fun well we add things to sport that aren't fun okay now that doesn't mean that they're not essential they're still essential but The fun, like we said, as an adult, you go and you go play. You're going to play. And then you start in the backyard. You figure out how to play baseball or football. You organize it. When adults start to micromanage the competitive side of things, that's when it gets confusing. Okay, Mm -hmm. So you're in sport. And like you said, like as an adult, it's fun. I'm happy. That's because you're in sport because of play. And so if we can allow for sport to be about joy and wonder oh my goodness, why are we not going to do that, right? The comp- competition side is just a, an extra piece of the pie, right? It's a, it's a seasoning on the meat. Mm-hmm. But it, that it is never intended to be the full course meal. You can't compete and make that the full course meal. The training, the process, the sport, the joy and wonder, that's your full course meal, right? So competition is just spice, you put a little bit of spice on your meat, okay? But the meat is the training; it's being a part of the sport. Mm-hmm. Now, if you flip it, if you put too much seasoning on, mm-hmm. ooh, it's not going to taste so well, right? And your stomach's going to get upset. And if you eat steak that is all seasoning and no steak, you're not going to you're not going to like it, and it's not going to sustain you either, mm-hmm. right? There's no nutrients there. So, what I really believe in when when you handle sport as exercising joy and wonder and you come into the wrestling room, we're gonna train you. Yeah. I got a I got a plan. Okay. We're coach like I put a lot of effort into making sure we're progressing at the right rate and everything's happening on on schedule or on course and we're getting the results that we need. We're measuring it. We see it all of that kind of stuff. But you just show up, if you know your why, it's to become the best person you can become, right? Be your best, do your best. This is gonna be fun. This Mm -hmm. is gonna be fun. And that's sustainable that's sustainable that's meat you don't need seasoning on meat right mm-hmm. or if you're a vegetarian you don't need seasoning on okra on, on, your, on your okra <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't need seasoning on it but you can you definitely can't go down the seasonings aisle and get a whole like satisfy on the seasonings mm-hmm. and that's what you sports has flipped. flipped and a it. poorly
1: prepared steak won't be saved by old bay or whatever true you know mm-hmm. like true. if you're not yeah. managing the steak well yeah the seasoning isn't actually going to matter all that much
2: but yeah. if you get everything perfect and then you put a little seasoning on there it turns out to be just be that extra level of greatness and that's what those gold medals are mm-hmm. but yeah you see adults very happy about winning a blue belt world title and they'll be more happy about that than some guy who just won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And he'll, he'll
1: be way more happy if you say his name.
2: I'm not saying. I'm not doing <laughs> Don't it. Don't say I'm his name. I'm not doing it. Don't say his name. He already loves himself enough. <laughs> yeah. The um, but it's that satisfaction of knowing that I, I'm enough, mm-hmm. and I'm having and, and I'm so and life is going so well that I'm able to go have fun with my friends every day. And that fun is amplified by working hard in that room, Mm -hmm. and that motivation to work hard is from the little seasoning of competition, that spice of competition, knowing that's coming up in eight weeks. And I go in there and push it a little bit harder because I want to do well enough that day. Another thing you find as an adult is when you don't do well by the numbers, you got third place, second Mm -hmm. place. But, man, you know there's nothing you could have changed in that six to eight weeks of getting ready for it or on that day that really could have made that much of a difference. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just get manhandled. Mm-hmm. But you don't leave there upset about it. You're just like, man, that was a new experience. That was a cool experience. And then you have more appreciation for these natural athletes who can just go pull somebody apart. And you're like, yeah, that's th- I've, I've felt a taste of that. It's mm-hmm. terrible. And I can't imagine what the next level of monster over that guy is. You know, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's the fun of life. Right, so now even when you're casually sitting around watching other people be great, you're like, "Oh, I can't imagine what that victim's going through." Yeah, (laughs) it seems
1: to me that the like maturity and perspective you're talking about as us as adults going back and doing play stuff Mm -hmm. is exactly the kind of thing that you know taking a human approach to coaching young kids is trying to expedite. Yeah, like. Feel it the way I'm feeling it after learning it the hard way the last 30 years right now so you can, you know, experience it in a more positive way and take more from it.
2: I think a lot of adults have been grown, grew up. The reason they quit sports at 24 and the reason they quit caring about their physical presence and their physical well-being at 24, 25, 30, whatever is... Because the only motivation was to get an award so people mm-hmm. would be proud of you, so they love you more, so they give you that, that good day with, with everybody versus the gloomy, sad day of losing, yeah. right? And so you're constantly driving. If we don't get this first place today, it's going to be bad. It's going to be a bad week. Mm-hmm. But if I get first place, oh, it all depends on that medal. Mm-hmm. And as an adult It doesn't really matter About that medal It's about the fact That you went to Vegas With your friends <laughs> And then went to eat A three pound burrito Afterwards
1: And also I did some jujitsu And did okay And yeah. Yeah, yeah. and
2: I worked harder Than most people I know yeah. Leading up to that And I'm in better shape I can go to the pool And take my shirt off Comfortably yeah. Uh, I had a purpose for the last six weeks outside of just being a dad who works.
1: All the crap that wasn't included in the version I got pitched as a kid. The way
2: kids should be feeling about this. Sport is my escape. It's my – one thing about COVID wrestling, it turned into that. With the Dells having so many tournaments, it turned into we work hard, and it's a perfect opportunity to show you how to play hard Mm -hmm. afterwards. After most adults compete, you pop off go and have your drinks, you go and have your huge quantities of food, and you go and have, just relax with your friends for mm-hmm. a couple days at least. Mm-hmm. With the kids, what happens after every kid's tournament? You win, you lose, you go home, and you're back to mowing the yard, on YouTube, watching fishing videos, whatever you do as a kid, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Kids the, watch fishing videos. Yeah, yeah they, they love it. They, they love it. Oh, yeah. man. Right. So,
2: the kids around here at least, the, um, <laughs> that makes sense. With the yeah. Dells, you go and you, weigh in you have the stress of competition you're competing with kids from all over the country however it goes at the end of the day i was able to show my kid all right go get a virgin daiquiri at the bar get some mozzarella sticks here whatever however you far you can make this money go go with it go run around with your little hoodlum friends till three in the morning you know play on the water park whatever we're in a little resort just have the time of your life after this competition And it really became, wrestling became so much more fun in those moments about, Mm. yeah, I mean, for one, you got to excuse any, it was easy to say like, okay, you went against kids from Texas and Kansas and Iowa and Illinois and you know, you got this place. Well, there's, these kids are coming from all over. They're dedicated wrestlers. We got things to work on. We'll, We'll film it and we'll talk about it later, but go have fun. You know, to have that on one side, you're saying, it's not like you lost to a nobody. That's comforting. And then the other side is say, go have as much fun as you possibly can. Knowing that's coming, that's comforting. It made wrestling more fun as a parent for me too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is that thing where you just stare at me. Mm-hmm. Make it
1: uncomfortable. Steak and mozzarella sticks. Man, I'm hungry. I am too. Man.
2: But yeah, Kevin, I think you should possibly look into coaching adults before work in the day at Victory School of Wrestling, 125 and a half Main Street, yeah. <laughs> River Falls, Wisconsin. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you' pretty good wrestler, Kevin. Was pretty, I a good wrestler? Were you, or, uh, and or are you, whatever
0: version uh, suits um, the narrative better? Okay, so I, I guess like what I will say about that I, I don't I had um I I enjoyed my wrestling career. I think I underperformed when it came to the end, um, and unintentionally that became a healthy fuel for me to become a, a very committed, in-depth coach. Um, as an athlete, I, 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 I had a brother. Um, my dad was our, our coach. We grew up on a dairy farm. We were um, just without a choice, had to be hardworking kids. And, um, I mean, we really didn't do a ton of work on the farm, but we saw we saw that daily commitment, to um the process and the process mattered You had to milk the cows every day couldn't take a day off you know that's not how this works <laughs> and so that that became something that was just ingrained in my in my spirit like you don't take a day off you work you go to work and so um so i had i had perfect attendance kindergarten through 12th grade Holy i got like cow. this big award and all this kind of stuff but um I think that that for me is that's, that's the most important piece of what my wrestling career was because I showed up every day and did what I was supposed to. And I worked hard. I had a lot of really good coaches, a lot of really good influences. So I know that I, I was blessed. I had opportunities that others didn't and and I'm grateful for that. Um, but I showed up every single day, you know, I could have had the best coaches in the, in the country Um, which I think I had really good coaches. You know, my dad was a youth coach. He's in the Hall of Fame. My my high school coach, he's in the Hall of Fame. My college coach, he's in, in multiple Hall of Fame. So I had Hall of Fame coaches at every age level. But if I wouldn't have shown up and if I didn't work hard, they wouldn't have been able to do good things through me either, mm-hmm. right? Because I had a lot of teammates that had the same coaches. <laughs> and and so what was different? Well, I mean, I think I had some athleticism, and there were some God-given abilities, but I exercised them. I worked them. So I showed up every day, dairy farm mentality. Um, and so high school, I had, a, I had a pretty successful high school career. Went to the University of Wisconsin and um, had hoped on winning a national title and, you know, eventually making an olympic team and neither of those things happen so that's what i think of most <laughs> in my wrestling career um so thanks for bringing it up because i was in a good mood for a while and then we talk about my wrestling career well and, but and, it, then, and it became, the, then it became based on the conclusion fellow. of your story there i want you to go
1: back and listen to the rest of this podcast yeah. the first hour hour and a half of this podcast Because yeah. you broke it down to a zero-sum game at the end and said ah, it wasn't very good tell me what did pretty good at the high school level means
0: um, well, I, I mean, I won all my matches, I guess. That was another,
1: there another Midwestern <laughs> guy version. So you were undefeated in high school. Is that I, what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, I was.
2: In yeah. Wisconsin, in the Midwest.
1: Yeah. yeah. Also, if you, if your story didn't include growing up on a dairy farm, I was going to have you make up a story about <laughs> growing up on a dairy farm oh, just to <laughs> yeah. suit the cultural narrative. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're an undefeated high school wrestler back in the day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was a four time state champion. Um, there we go. That's so the phrasing that I was, was looking for. Not this yeah. I did
1: pretty good business. Yeah.
0: And it what was neat about it though was it, it I look at it and I respect it and I think it's a really cool thing mm-hmm. and um having now coached um been able to replicate some of that like our we have Jens Vance who who runs our high school program at Victory. He was a four-time state champion. I was his club coach and so being able to like replicate my experience in high school is, is kind of a neat thing to look back Mm -hmm. on. I appreciate what I did a little bit more now because I have, um, I have a different, different vision or I look at it differently, but to me it was just like, that's just what you do. Like I'm just going to show up and go to work and, you know, go to practice. And then when I put the leg band on, like I'm, I'm going to win. Like that's just what I did. And that's what I was supposed to do. And I didn't know any different, you know? And so Um, when I was in college and doing some clinics, um, a lot of people would say like, what was it like to win four state titles? I'm like, I don't know. This is just normal. I don't know. That's just what we did. That's what I did. I, Mm -hmm. how, how, how am I supposed to explain what it was like to be me? That was who I was. It was so natural. Yeah. And so I, it wasn't like I did anything special. I freaking worked my butt off and I was really committed. I was really dedicated and, I did a lot of little things behind the scenes that nobody saw that was you know were some of the special things i was I had a lot of really weird idiosyncrasies and like superstitions, but they were they were part of the process and part of the routine that um you know that that yielded success at the high school level um and now coaching high school kids helping them have healthy habits and routines is, is, is a chore. It's a chore. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that, you know, having grown up on a dairy farm was something that helped with that. So I still have things that I like are non-negotiable, just little idiosyncrasies, you know, like, and then we try to pass it down to our, our athletes. Like I do not take elevators. I take the stairs, like elevators. They're for lazy Americans. I'm not a lazy American. (coughs) So we take Uh the stairs and, and like people that need an the an elevators, you know. If you're in a wheelchair, you gotta use the
1: elevator. Sure, in
2: yeah, fairness, sure. yeah. Yeah, maybe They're, I don't know what they would were put there. for handicapped people <laughs> yeah. we, before we go, that. Yeah. <laughs> we
0: go up, you know, like we go to hotels and we get checked in and you know, we just were at World Team Trials and here's Allie with her three bags, and she knew she had to take the stairs. Mm-hmm. You take four flights of stairs with your bags, and everyone else can take the elevator. And that, like those are those are silly little things, but they were part of my experience that that put me in a situation to a lot of people are looking
2: a lot of people are looking for that Mm. right there Mm -hmm. the little idiosyncrasies Mm -hmm. that i mean you're a very modest guy obviously but people you it just came to you naturally i'm just gonna take the stairs the little extra work your viewpoint of it from what i'm hearing is that you see it as a gift oh i get a little a few extra steps i get a little extra time to train that's Th- 10 more seconds that I made myself a little bit better mm-hmm. Where a lot of people just see the difficulty In that task And not how they're going to feel after the task is complete mm-hmm. So they look at work From easy work like taking the steps All the way to hard work of being a wrestler In the mm-hmm. same dynamic mm-hmm. Where they're going that looks like more than I want to do Where your natural Sense or how you're raised And et cetera, et cetera and just some people are just Tuned in that way mm-hmm. Especially a lot of people who grew up with hardship early on in life are tuned in that way of seeing that, no, I look forward to the work because I know it's going to make me a little bit better. It's mm-hmm. going to put me... The, it's going to make me more likely to be the cream that rises to the top. Yeah. Right? And so I they wa- don't fear it.
0: I watched uh, uh interesting Netflix, Untold. Have you seen those? N- yeah, Untold? I was going to bring up the one about... Uh the fish
2: guy. fish yeah. yeah marty fish i watched yeah. it just a couple of days ago yeah and this
1: whole conversation you know the human element and the robot athlete element yep. uh, all of it is present in that specific episode yeah. yeah
0: and there there is that one line where roddick the uh, um you know is about M- marty fish and andy roddick was a main yep. character in that as yep, well yeah yep. and he said, and I was, I was so refreshed to hear it because I'm like, ooh, okay, let me th- let me think about this, break it down. He's like, you either get it or you don't by 17, right? That's what he said. Yeah. And he's like, you either get it or you don't. And he said then that Marty Fish had found the formula and changed it. Yeah, like, he's like, the what, only 30? guy he ever only met he that ever met. figured it out yep. later on. and it. And, <laughs> and I love that because that's exactly what we're trying to do here yep. at Victory is, I do believe I like you can still have a growth mindset and I do believe that people can get it later on in life, but they don't, but they can, they can, but yeah. they don't. So the question like, is why not? Why not? Right. And, yeah. and it's because those foundations, the sustained success about, you know, care characters, what leads to sustained success and the joy and wonder and all those things. Like we want to create that atmosphere where people get it mm-hmm. and what, what do they have to get? Well, okay. If you want to be an Olympic gold medalist, guess what? You got to be pretty darn committed because what you're doing right now is not going to happen. You don't live the lifestyle of an Olympic gold medalist once you win the gold medal. Mm. You live the lifestyle of a gold medalist way before you ever have the opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, it's a finished product problem. It's a finished yeah, exactly. Our view of the finished
1: product is so ready, available. It's easy. I watched that guy do the best performance of a thing in the world. That oh, looked really easy. Yeah. but you can see the previous 22 years yeah you know and 5 a.m alarms etc yeah yeah so
2: yeah we're not seeing the sausage get made and we're just assuming that it's just an easy clean process I'm starving
1: Chris why are you bringing up sausage yeah. <laughs> the, the an influential coach of mine um, you talk about the idiosyncrasies I, I kind of like his phrasing better because he would talk about seemingly insignificant details mm-hmm. like oh, it's just 15 more minutes I'll hit snooze mm-hmm. well now that's everything your whole day is 15 minutes behind like Mm -hmm. am i did i get a chance to prepare a good breakfast did i get a chance to journal or what you Mm -hmm. know i Mm -hmm. goofed my whole day so that very small detail in one day times however many other little seemingly insignificant details is what sort of makes or breaks the long-term success and path yeah
2: that's not just an athlete. That's in human. That's what I'm saying. Beings. Human, yeah. 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 But that being we,
1: intentional. I didn't say sports. You know, it's yeah. about being intentional, right? Mm-hmm.
0: And, and rather than accident, the opposite of intentional is accidental. So, are you living your life with intention, or is mm-hmm. it happening to you on accident?
2: And to go back to a well-known phrase within the jujitsu community and some podcasting, is, is it like Yabra? Yeah, like the Jocko stuff about Os. when people say discipline sets you free. Discipline yeah, equals, equals freedom. freedom. Yeah, it uses equals freedom with Jocko saying that. Yeah. It's about those little idiosyncrasies. Yeah. If you get yourself mm. fast forwarded 15, 30 minutes and you're doing a whole extra task with an extra hour every day, yeah. you're going to be way ahead by the end of the month. And then you imagine you are going to be years from now. And a lot of people are now starting to understand that that's a thing because mm. they're getting it into their head so much. And people are changing at a later point. Mm-hmm. I know people who are stepping on the mats at 30 and become the best version of themselves. Clarity, mm-hmm. h- humility you know, they're, they're happy with themselves Mm -hmm. and they're discovering all this for the first time. So it is very possible. I just don't think it's seen. It wasn't seen that often before because adults by nature become very, I know what the world's doing. I know what it's about and I've got my comfort zone. Here I am. And hard work mindset.
1: they lose the growth mindset and
2: they've been taught through whatever reason their whole life that the more you can avoid the hard work the better off you're doing. If you could Mm -hmm. sit around on the pontoon all day and date nothing, you're living in paradise Mm -hmm. where those people who have the opportunity to do that largely don't enjoy, you know, they, they won't go by a pontoon because they're like, no, I don't want to sit still today. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to this the other day. Do you think Tom Brady with everything he's had (laughs) has ever just gone, man, I didn't do nothing today. I got up at 10, had some pancakes, went back to bed, played some Xbox. You know
0: well, well, I'll tell you if he if he did, it, it's on purpose mm-hmm. and it's planned. yeah you know, it doesn't just happen. It's an it, intentional it, choice. it's an intentional choice to sleep in and to recover. It's mm-hmm. not a, a it's not a decision based on emotion in the mm-hmm. moment and and I think that's one of the things I've seen the biggest difference between the best in the worlds and we've been around a few is they don't go through the motions. Things are intentional, so they mm-hmm. might sleep until 10 one day, mm-hmm. but it's it's planned. It's it's planned. It doesn't just happen because they get right. the snooze and they're not feeling it today. And or pur- it's not it's likely purposeful. That, it's not it's likely purposeful.
2: they're sleeping until ten and then doing nothing else with their day. They're sleeping yeah. until ten and then there's some kind of active recovery can be confused with nothingness mm. by the by the per- people looking on or the untrained eye. People don't know what that person's doing. They're mm-hmm. just sitting on a couch watching TV. You change the perspective on that, you change the knowledge of that. You see, they're watching video breakdown videos of their performances while they're sitting around eating a healthy meal, right? Yeah. And this is this person, it's not for everybody. That lifestyle is not for everybody. Some people need more actual active rest and downtime, and there's needs to be. I did nothing but read a, a fictional book, got into this character, and I needed that six hours of my day, otherwise, I'm just burnt yeah. out and I can't. So, they have to have discipline in their yeah. rest, yes, and they need more, but. Some people don't need as much, and they get to be really special because they get an extra couple hours every day.
0: Hold on, tell me about college wrestling. Um, college, I went to. Um, I went to Wisconsin. Um, I grew up here in Wisconsin, and had a couple opportunities. Um, I I considered Minnesota, Northwestern, and some others, and Wisconsin was just home. Like I was a Badger. Like I always cheered for the Badgers. And that's where I wanted to be. So um, I was also interested in the academic component to the University of Wisconsin. Um, that mattered to me. Oh, yeah, it's me. a school, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, they pretty, got books and good libraries. One, pretty good one. That, that mattered to me. Um, my brother was a valedictorian, so it, like I, I was not. But I was around academically successful people. I had a good academic career my study habits were not as great as my wife's or my brother's who are both valedictorians. So like the closest people to me in my life are valedictorians, you know, 4.0 through all their stuff, whatever. Um, No no pressure. Yeah. No pressure, which is good. It it was was all right. But I, um, so then I went, I went to the university of Wisconsin and Barry Davis was my coach. Um, I went there planning to be a national champion and, um, Made it to the nationals as a, as a true freshman. And then I redshirted my second year. Um, moved up a weight class and um, lost in the All-American round. Thanks for bringing all this stuff up, too, by the way, because mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of this one yet today. Mm-hmm. Um, lost in the, I'm going to ask you about round. injuries yeah. next. It's, just, it's all in the, downhill. Lost in the, in the blood round um, as a sophomore to an athlete from Minnesota who I had beat two weeks prior to that at the Big Tens. And he then was their... 10th all-american that year that's the only time ever in the history of the ncaa that there's been 10 10 all-americans from one team 10 for 10 they sent their whole team they were all all-americans and that only happened because i got reversed to my back with eight seconds left in the blood round and gave the gophers their national title that year um yeah, that was pretty awesome. So again, we can just keep talking about all of the setbacks. But beautifully stated, though, you <laughs> you gave it to him. I gave it to him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, they actually, I've I've done the research. They would have won the title without that win. They they Oklahoma State was second. Um, they were, they were enough points ahead that that win didn't make or break their team title, but they did have 10, 10 all Americans that year. And it's a pretty special thing in the history at Minnesota. We've sent some athletes up there and they still talk about it. They still talk about how, how Brett Lawrence won because he beat this guy that he had lost to the week before and he was doing it for the team. And it was this big, huge thing. And I'm like, really? Like I'm I'm right here, like you're talking about. Mm, yeah. So, um, we'll put that, so that in the was, episode. That was my sophomore title.
1: year. <laughs> it's going to be, you know, wrestling with Kevin. This guy black.
0: He so beat yeah. this guy. Yeah. So th- that was my sophomore year. Um, so lost in the blood round, and then the, and then the next year I came in um, kind of like with a new energy, and um, I didn't like how that felt, and um, I, I had a, an old an old sage who hung around the the wrestling room his name was don stern he was he was like 80 years old and he would come and encourage us after practices He was just a really really good man and he um put a picture in my locker of of that moment when i was wrestling lawrence and getting reversed and uh he wrote in kind of like shaky writing he said never forget that feeling and and i haven't and so to this day i remember very very clearly Um, and so I put that up in my locker and then I kind of had like a new motivation and I'm like, this is, I'm going to freaking win a national title. I don't care what anybody says, like, screw this all American bull crap. And I had planned to win a, to be an all American, you know, right out, right out of the gate. And, and I wasn't, and I fell short and I needed the goal to be a national champion. And then if I fell short, I could be an all American. Right. But I'm like the next year, I'm like, no, freaking screw this all American stuff. I'm going to win a national title. So then my junior year, um, I was, I was kind of in the mix and um, I ended up fourth that year. I got beaten in the semis um, by another Minnesota guy, Ryan Lewis. And that hurt bad. I did not like that. Um, I've never watched that match still. I've watched the Lawrence one. I actually have it on my phone. I pull it up every once in a while. Um, <laughs> I'll show you when we're done here. But then, um, and, and and so so I took fourth and that hurt bad. Like I was not prepared mentally i had no categories in my mind to handle not winning like it was not even an option and so that hurt i didn't know what the heck to do um but it was it was a good hurt. it was just the normal athlete stuff um so then i came in my senior year um ready to do it lauren or um the two guy the all three guys that placed ahead of me were back the next year too so um this this kid from Oklahoma Whit Durden who beat me for third, but then Johnny Thompson was Oklahoma state. He was a two time national champ and Ryan Lewis from Minnesota, who was second two years in a row. Um, so I came back that next year, um, wrestled Lewis in, in Vegas um, lost a close battle. It was close, but we had figured some things out and I was going to beat him. It was going to happen. And uh, Johnny Thompson had a, had a rough regular season. So Durden and I were ranked 1 and 2 and we were going to wrestle in this 1 versus 2 All-Star meet in the second weekend in February and um that that January 31st we wrestled Michigan State and I cut the corner and hurt my knee and um it was kind of like a weird feel I ended up winning that match 10 to 0 and then um it tightened up after and then we got on the plane the next day we we were um or the bus, we went from Michigan State, no, plane, to Penn State. We wrestled Penn State then on Sunday, Michigan State on Friday, Penn State on Sunday. And uh, I'm like, I don't think I should wrestle because I was supposed to wrestle then on Monday in this all-star meet against Durden. Well, Durden got injured that night as well, and he pulled out. So it was going to be me against a fill-in guy who, at the time, it was this number six ranked guy from Penn State. And that's who i was supposed to wrestle on that sunday i sat out my backup major decision to this guy the number six guy and so (laughs) it was just wild um well then long story short i'm like i got to pull out i couldn't wrestle on that thing so that dude then won the match against whoever they found it was just wild um and never got back in the lineup that was it so that was that was the the last weekend in january and um, I ended up having a having knee surgery um, right before the Big Tens. And so, um, yeah, so that that was it. That was my senior year. I was done. And so. Um, How much do you think that um,
1: ending, mm-hmm. I suppose, yeah. informs yeah. your
0: personal coaching philosophy now? A lot. Oh, gosh, a lot. And um, I've met with some different sports psychologists in different, um scenarios and we've talked a lot about this um when right before before 2016 helen had hired this guy and he really picked apart a lot of stuff and picked some parts some stuff with john smith and some mental stuff but really helped me reconcile some of those things that that became fuel for me to to be able to to coach some of these other other athletes and um it's really like it was so so interesting because i was at peace with the decision to have have you know a little surgery there on my knee and and not wrestle um that was that was the right decision for me in my health and long term it was more than just a medal it was more than wrestling i'm like but freaking a i wanted that thing bad <laughs> of course but it was it was the right decision because it made the things that I said about who I wanted to be true. It was a test, right? And it's like, okay, am I more than wrestling? Wrestling is just what I do. It's not who I am. Winning a national title would be great, but it's not why I'm here. And that, like making that decision, like I said, was, was really peaceful. It wasn't, like, I wasn't happy about it, but... Like I knew it was the right thing, and my wife was a runner. We talked about you know being able to run with our kids in the future. I hate running um but it was it was the right decision and and so now I'm forty one and there's been a lot of lot of wrestling with that decision even till today. Like did I make the right decision? Should I just have done something different and won that national title? Would I have had a D1 college coaching job? What You know, like where would my life have been? What if, what if, what if, all of those sorts of things. And I still wrestle with a lot of that. And in in 2015, th- this, was, this was huge. This was one, like I have moments where it's like, oh, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. Didn't make sense when I was 21 years old. And I trusted all of those wise people who said, one day this will make sense. One day you'll look back on it and... And so, like every four, or five years, something comes up, and I'm like, "Oh, I get it, I get it." And it's something will probably come up in the next couple of years. We'll be like, "Oh, man, I thought that I got it, you know, five years ago." But in 2015, um, I was coaching Helen Morales, and she won. She won a gold medal. It was the year before the Olympics, and I was going to win a national title. This was the deal. Like, I went to Wisconsin. I'm like it's a deal. Like i made the deal with coach and like, I prayed to God, like it's going to happen. Like it's out of my control. I'm going to win a national title and I'm going to use this platform to share my faith, to, um, talk about, you know, doing things the right way and, and whatever. I'm going to do it on ESPN two at, you know, 11 PM mm. at night, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, in 2000 in, in, one, in 2002 or where, like, I'm going to, I'm going to have my moment. They're going to interview me. I'm going to be in the singlet It was pre Shane Sparks, who's one of my great friends. It's like they're going to interview. I'm going to do it. Like this is why I'm here. Mm -hmm. This is my why, right? I'm going to use my platform to share my story, share my faith, and make it about God's name, not Kevin's name. Okay, all right. Oh no, no national title. What the heck? What is this? How is this (laughs) happening? This isn't in the plan. So I start coaching, um, and here we're in, in 2015. We're in Vegas. Helen won won a gold medal. And she's on the, she's getting interviewed, and the things she's saying, I'm like, that's that that's that's what I told her, I'm like wait a minute, like, I that's what I was that's what I've been telling her here is, and and they're interviewing her, and there was this really interesting thing where, um, this other coach was getting all of the all of the praise, and and she was talking about this other coach, and and I went behind the scene, and and there was a chiropractor who was on our team, her name is Kristen Kells. She's like, how are you doing? I'm like, awesome. Like Helen just won. No, like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm great. What are you talking about? Well, they're talking a lot about that other coach, you know, like you were a big part of this, weren't you? I'm like, ah, yeah. it's, it's no big deal. But like, that was something that I recognized instantly. Like, oh, what? Like I'm holding her clothes and she's getting the interview. I'm like, Well, say my name. I'm over here too. Yeah, yeah. Like say, oh, just thanks so much to my coaches, plural. Like say my name. And I'm like, no, no, no. Because I had made this deal. I had like committed to God that this whole deal, there's a verse that's on my license plate on our van, Isaiah 26.8. It says, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we eagerly wait for you for your name and your renown are the desires of our hearts. Your name and your renown. And that became like the confession of my life. It's not about Kevin's name. It's about God's name. So if Kevin's name gets mentioned, okay, what's going on? I got to check things here, okay, because it's not about my name. And I had thought, like, going in and trying to win a national title, get my name up on the wall. Wait, it's not about my name. It's about God's name. I was going to use that platform and talk about God. And I'm like, oh, darn it, it didn't work. And then in 2015, here's Helen. And she's saying all these things that I was going to say. I'm like, oh, I get it. That platform's bigger. That platform she's on isn't ESPN2 on a Saturday where we get 10,000 viewers. She's on an international platform. We're going into the Olympics. She's got a chance to beat the biggest Olympian in the history of our sport. And she did in 2016. I'm like, okay, I think I get it here. I thought that my platform to share my story was going to be winning a national title, right? And then it took ten years later, well, more than ten years, and here's Helen on an international platform, reaching people in Japan, in the Ukraine, and in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And like here I thought this whole time I'm like, Kevin, you're a freaking idiot, right? Like what in the heck were you thinking? So that kinda like so so now I see this thing making more sense, like ooh. Yeah, I could come on a podcast. I could, you know, do victory, but there's a bigger platform out there. And and I that's that's what I learned from that is like my my platform is way too small. My story is way too small. There's bigger. There's bigger fish to fry. There's a way to change the world, you know, for the glory of God or there's a way to impact an entire globe. <laughs> you know.
2: Your philosophy of teaching these people that you're, like your story about the thank you letter, you're mm-hmm. not the result of that day. You're all the work leading up to that and who you've become as a person. Mm-hmm. And teaching people to play and have fun while getting the best out of themselves. Yeah, you share your story on ESPN too. and you're, I didn't. Well, no, I'm saying if you would have, <laughs> if you could have, no, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get yeah. that small platform. Even if that leads to a D one coaching spot where mm-hmm. you're teaching kids at Mizzou mm-hmm. that lesson, right, and then they teach it to their kids, but here you are, already have hit that international goal. Le- your 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 message got out on that gold level platform, but there's such a strong potential that that's not going to be the last time it happens. Right, you've got world team trial people going from your place to world team trials over and over again, mm-hmm. Olympic trials over and over again. And they're landing mm-hmm. and they're getting this hu- the biggest stage you could have asked mm-hmm. for multiple times over versus your original idea of having it hit once. Right. And it's and I, I think it is a message that needs to be heard worldwide. Yeah. And and yeah, it's, it's amazing how it got your yeah. school. You got your school at the exact right moment back. Mm-hmm. You got this. I mean, yeah, it's it's um it's coupled largely with your hard work. Obviously Mm -hmm. you have to be focused on doing the right thing every day Mm -hmm. and obsessing over that. But yeah. Couple that with the idea that there's some kind of fate involved in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. The
1: the message and the mission are the point, not the checkpoints that feel important Mm -hmm. along
2: the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what coaching is. And you're living that teaching it. Right. Yeah. You're living that proof on a very large grand scale.
0: And, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, like, uh, doubt or short short change um the bigness that's out there like you know I didn't understand what had happened when I I got injured and didn't win a national title I didn't understand that and then you know we got to 2015 and in here Helen won a gold medal and I'm like oh I understand it more now and then we move forward and there are other little things that have happened where I oh I understand this more now like this is making more sense but we're not done like discovering those things, like something huge is going to happen where like it's going to be bigger than even Helen winning a gold medal. Like maybe we're done winning gold medals, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe we've got a president of the United States at victory. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like why, why, why can't I think that? Why can't we think that there's some like there's something huge that's going to change change
2: the world just like we talked about those minor details in the day that make for successful people later on and people don't see those little details there is a chance and maybe it hasn't happened yet maybe it is happening but i don't want you to miss this if it is happening when it does happen but what you're teaching people in the venue you're teaching through wrestling and through just being on the mats we know one of our obsessions about this as adult can not competitors, because we don't, <laughs> right? But as adults were- People are involved. Into and- this lifestyle, right? You're teaching so many people how to be, and this is a cliche, yes, but to the finer point, you're teaching people how to be the best version of themselves mm-hmm. over and over again. It hits the large platform, m- that message goes out to more people who are gonna take mm-hmm. your message and radiate it across. And this is going to affect people, maybe not a way that you'll see President of the United States and right. Elon Musk or whatever. But how you'll never be able to Quantify how many people you've Helped take from the clutches of suicide mm-hmm. On up to They were go, supposed to go to college To get a, a four year degree but now they're getting A doctor, doctorate mm-hmm. and now that doctorate Is radiating out to help other people All these people are Pushing themselves and knowing of themselves To be Better mm-hmm. To such a degree and I don't think you're ever going to be able to fully quantify right. how much of an impact you're having. you know if you try to put it on the the just the gold medal, it's just the president right. of the United States or whatever. But yeah, I think you're going to have a lot of people who will, in their own impactful way, be able to say that they're attributing to the time they spent with you mm-hmm. right and I think that's that's a way, way bigger impact in the world on a mm-hmm. on a more subtle note.
1: It goes to something you said that it, since you can't quantify Kevin Black's impact, that's not the point. Yeah, mm-hmm. it isn't your impact. It's yeah. the message and the mission. It's God's. You know the whole yeah. the whole thing. Yeah.
2: Well, thanks for all you do. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and I'm really uh, glad we found you and able to end up in your area. This is as a parent as a on a personal note. You're a parent, yeah. but you don't have the coaching version of you in your life. So I don't think you understand how good it feels to know that you're dropping your kid off with somebody like this on a daily basis. You know, Mm -hmm. you can't, I can't do all the parenting. No, I learned that early on. It takes a lot of people. And if you surround your kid with the right people, you can, you're setting them up for the best opportunities. And that's a comforting thought. Mm. So thank you for being who you are.
0: Last word is yours, Kevin. Anything else? Oh man, I don't, I don't know. I, I just appreciate the opportunity to do things like this and to be able to um, continue to reach people and to share our story and hopefully, hopefully make a positive impact.
2: Your charity's name again?
0: The Heart and Hustle.
2: The Heart and Hustle. Yeah. Been when a kid have, from the Heart and Hustle mm-hmm. grows up to be a world leader, <laughs> mm-hmm. a world game changer, man, you are gonna you're gonna do a backflip right out of your skin. Yeah,
0: that'll be fun. <laughs>
1: Cool. Thanks, brother.
2: Thank you.